0: Um, I found this passage very challenging this week. I said to Andy, if this was a couple of years ago, I would have been more confident in preaching and teaching from it. Uh, th- sometimes the more that you know, um, the harder things become to analyze. And I've been personally challenged so far of my reading on the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most challenging things. Um, In the Bible, in fact it is, in my opinion, the most challenging teaching that you're likely to find. So, will you stand with us uh, this morning for the reading of God's word? I really believe that God wants to speak to us through this passage afresh today. And I think last week's message was so important to recognize whom we've entered into covenant with, which is the living God. So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 3 through verse 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Lord we praise you and thank you for your word. For your word is power and your word is a sword. Lord, may your word cut to the hearts of everybody here, Lord. That we may hear this morning from the living God. Through thy word and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Please be seated. Now, on Friday, I spent much time studying and reading about the Beatitudes. I read various books and interpretations and encouragements throughout the day. And by bedtime, I'd had notes, an idea of what I'm going to be teaching, and an outline of a message to bring to church. Um, I went to bed, and my sleep was not good. My sleep was not good, and I awoke to the words, you need to pray. You need to pray. I thought, wow, I've, surely I've only been in bed for about an hour already, Lord. i about about half eleven. And I checked my clock, and it was... my normal time of prayer is 4 in the morning. So I realized I need to pray. What I did was, before I went to bed, I asked the Lord a question. Lord, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I wasn't down on my knees, I wasn't in a religious posture, I was walking up the stairs. And simply asked the Lord, Lord, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Let me encourage you, if you ask with sincerity, the Lord will answer when he's ready at 3.57 in the morning. I put on my gown and I started to pray. It was a very simple prayer, the usual prayer. You know the usual prayer? That one, the normal prayer. But then it changed. Something happens. And I began to sob, I began to weep deeply in my spirit. I was on top of the bed. On my own, Chelsea was away. The Lord got me alone. And I was curled up almost in a fetal position. And I was crying out to the Lord. There was a deep sobbing in my soul. It was supernatural. It was more than just myself. And I was aware of this. I was reminded of the passage that Paul writes to the church at Rome. He said, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses.
1: For we do not know
0: what we ought to pray. But the spirit himself. But the spirit himself makes intercession with us. With groanings which cannot be uttered. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit makes intercession. Now today was going to be a teaching, systematic teaching of what does the Sermon on the Mount mean and so forth. But it's ended up being a message for the church. It's a sermon. And I believe the Lord desires His church to hear this word at this time. I believe it's a powerful message. And I'm not surprised that it comes on the day of Pentecost. This was not my idea, this was the Lord's. But first we must understand whom Jesus is speaking to. Now last week we made this distinction, if you remember, between the great multitude and the disciples. However, the great multitude were what I would call a distant audience. Sure, Jesus has gone up on the mount, but the Audience is there. If we look in Matthew chapter 7, the last two verses. And so it was when Jesus had ended those sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Jesus had authority. He wasn't saying, You've, this is how I think it was, or such and such. He's saying, I'm saying this unto you. This is a man who has authority. And is speaking with such. Now we often hear this word don't we? Blessed. We've got the Beatitudes. It's sometimes translated blessed or the blessings. And we hear this a lot. And we read a lot through scripture don't we? For example in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 32 said. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. And we read this in the, Old Te- in the New Testament as well. Matthew eleven six, 6. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This man is blessed. All blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah. This is a common phrase. Here it's translated the Beatitudes, the blessings. But what does it mean to be blessed? We often say it, don't we? Bless you, be blessed. End of text message. Blessings. I do it all the time. May the Lord bless you. Be careful what you say, saying unless you understand the language. Well, sometimes this is translated happy, which is a fair translation. However, happiness would speak more about an emotion. Whatever it is that makes you happy, once that is taken away or maybe eaten. Um, the happiness goes after maybe an hour. I think a good way to translate this word, blessing, is this word, fortunate. Fortunate. Despite whatever position one may have in this world, this person remains fortunate. Fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice I'm putting this stress, and this is important to get, throughout the whole message, this what I'm about to tell you. This word, is... We have it in verse 3, 10, and 12. It's in the present tense. Fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you notice as you read through the text, the word shall follows. Follows what? You, after you've entered the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that again. Blessed is he, who is poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have it. It's in the present tense. And the word shall follows you after you've entered into the kingdom of heaven. This is the thing that you must grasp before we get into this morning's teaching. I'm reminded of one of my favorite verses from the Sermon on the Mount, which is this. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things shall be added unto you. You Notice what comes first. Seeking God and his righteousness. Matthew six thirty-three, And all these things, all these other things, shall be added unto you. After you've entered into the kingdom of heaven, which is God's rule and reign over your life. That's what the kingdom of God is. God ruling and reigning in every aspect of our lives. Then the rest will follow. So you could easily entitle this message, How fortunate are you? How fortunate are you? In fact, you can ask that in two different ways, can't you? As a question, how fortunate are you? Or as a statement, how fortunate are you? As we go through this passage, I I pray that the Lord speaks to you as he did to me. So let's look in the first verse. Now much is going to be in the first verse, okay? My intention by the grace of God is to get this is across to you. So let's begin. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Look, when you read someone is poor in spirit, um, it doesn't sound very good, does it? When somebody's poor of anything, it's surely not a positive thing. Uh, if somebody's poor financially, they've got no money, to go and eat. They don't pay the rent. Um, if somebody has poor eyesight, well, that's never really a positive thing.
1: However, I believe if we can grasp
0: just this, everything else shall fall into place. Okay? Let me just quote a minister I read this week. He said, there is no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit.
1: Everyone
0: who's in the kingdom of God is poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean?
1: These words are so familiar to us. The sermon on it is so familiar.
0: And I'm walking up the stairs going, Lord, what does it actually mean? Poor in spirit. I thought we are supposed to be built up in the spirit. and Everything else, what does it mean to be poor in the spirit?
1: Well, let me begin by saying what it doesn't
0: mean. It doesn't mean poor financially. Somebody's financial position or disposition really has no bearing on the person's heart posture. You can have a man who's very rich, like King David, who is after the Lord's own heart. And you can have someone who's completely poor, who's a hater of God and a devout atheist. So your finances says nothing about your heart posture. So we're not, again, talking about materialism, but the spiritual. Let me also say that to make yourself poor, it doesn't mean this. Something which was very common in the Orthodox Church and in the Roman Catholic Church is a vow of poverty. Someone who vows poverty. Very common in the medieval period. Someone who takes this vow, someone who's a monk or a nun. um, This is a twisting of the interpretation in, in Luke. In fact, I think it can be dangerous to take a vow of poverty because it could actually puff you up, couldn't it? Look what I've done. Let me just announce what I've done. I've renounced everything for God. Now, I know people have worked in monasteries and left monasteries and convents and left convents. The report is not good. I don't know everyone's heart, but there's no guarantee that if you renounce everything that you have and all your finances that you're going to be poor in spirit. No guarantee whatsoever. I think if we consider the world in which we live today, one which always says, and we see in adverts, this phrase, you can do it. You ever heard that phrase? You've got this. You can do this. This speaks of the self once again. Self-reliance. Self-confidence and self-expression, which is all what the world is about today. Express yourself. You can do it. You've got the confidence. Just get up earlier and work harder. You've got this. You can do this. Well, if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and there's one thing that we can see. Is that nobody can do it. You can't do it. And I can't do it. Man has tried... To do Sermon on the Mount, Christians have lied that they can do the Sermon on the Mount by and large. It's because they have a lack of understanding of what the Sermon on the Mount actually is. Some see it as a book of ethics, a moral code, or a new law. I even heard it teach like that. Moses goes up on the mountain and brings down the law. Jesus goes up and brings down the Sermon on the Mount. They have a no understanding of what this means. Why? Because they can't do it. Nobody can do the Sermon on the Mount. Man has tried to do the Sermon on the Mount. Governments have tried to implement the Sermon on the Mount. You know that? Oh, well, we're a Christian country. Our basis is on the Bible, on the morals of Jesus' teaching. Okay, why can't you do them then? Man has tried continuously and failed. Christians have tried. They've all failed to do the Sermon on the Mount. I remember Barack Obama laughing about it. Shall we live by the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> he has no understanding of what the Sermon on the Mount means. But he says before the world, shall we live by this? He's going to have to stand before Christ and give an account for that because he would have put a lot of people off Jesus' teaching. Man soon realize they can't do it. Why can't they do it? Why can't you do it? Why can't I do the Sermon on the Mount? The answer is simple. Because we are not poor in spirit. That's why you can't do it. That's why I can't do the Sermon on the Mount. Why is this? Because man has not seen their need of God. Truly have not seen their need of God. You can go out in the streets, Jesus loves you, he's forgiven you your sins. And they say, so what? So what? Great, Jesus loves me, thanks for that. I'll take your donuts and I'll do one. Who cares if Jesus loves me? That's the general consensus of the world. Very nice, I'm glad that Jesus likes me. The Sermon on the Mount is impossible without conviction. The conviction of whom you are before God must and can only precede conversion. If you can't see your need of God, you will never ever convert and become a true Christian. If no one can see their need of God, Then why be converted? And by and large, people are not converted. Man has to understand their utter bankruptcy before they cling to the cross. That all their ideas, all their attempts is futile and we are utterly and completely bankrupt. Do you see that about yourself? Maybe not. Maybe you haven't. Maybe we've been all very comfortable. Maybe I've been so comfortable that I can't actually see my bankruptcy. I'm doing all right. I'm doing the Christian thing. I'm ticking the boxes. I'm going to church. Hey, look at me, guys. I'm even a preacher. I'm doing all right. Do I see my utter bankruptcy? And do you know what? I don't think I do. If I do, I don't see it enough. It's only in the presence of the living God, not theology. But as we stand in his presence, then we realize what a mess we really are. Where the world is telling you, you are doing okay. Even church ministers are saying, well, I you're doing okay, you're doing all the things, you're ticking the boxes, you're going to church on a Sunday, all right, you never start on time, but you're going. But we think we're doing okay before God. Do you think you're doing okay before God, really? Oh, well, I got baptized. Oh, well, great, I've done a Bible study. Wow, I've even done an Alpha course. I'm doing all right. Do you think you're more holy than the prophet Isaiah? Do you think you're more holy than John, the revelator, or Peter, the apostle? Do you really? But what did Isaiah say when he was in the presence of God? Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the king. He realized how abased he really was. I'm sure many people were saying to him as a prophet and a priest, you're doing all right, you're doing all the religious things. John falls down as though dead at the ascended Christ. Why? He's in the presence of Jesus and all of his glory and majesty. And that's the one who's going to be judging both the living and the dead. But even Peter on earth, when he stood in the presence of Christ, realizing who Jesus really was, He said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. He recognized this. So, my question went out, didn't it? The Lord, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Be careful what you ask for. Because he's the Lord and he will answer you. If you ask in sincerity, be careful what you ask for. Well, the Lord got me, didn't he? At 357, he said, yeah, I've got your answer. I- I've got the answer for you, James. You cannot study without me. You can't study those books without me. You can't write a sermon without me. You can do nothing without me. My boy, you can't even pray without me. Even I have to prompt you in the early hours to pray. You can't even breathe without me, James. And yet, you're trying to live your life without being in my presence. What foolishness is this? You can do nothing without me. consider the blessed son, the chosen one, Jesus, both fully God and fully man, strips himself of everything. Philippians 2, 7 says, he emptied himself and came down. Fully God, fully man, hypostatic union throughout the theology. He says this, the son can do nothing of himself. What was his prayer life like? What was his need to rely on his Father in heaven for all things? All things I say are from the Father. That's Christ the Son. Notice Jesus emptied himself first. Are we so full of ourselves that there's no room for God? Are you so full of yourself that there's no room for for God? Am I so full of myself that there's no room for God? i let God answer that question himself. I hope you don't think I'm preaching condemnation. I'm opening your eyes. Not that I care what anyone here thinks. Because I don't work for you. I work for the king. I've stood here and preached And people sneering at me while I preach. Happened last week. Do you think I give a monkeys? I don't give a monkeys at all. I'm here to preach the truth. I don't care what anyone thinks. I love you all, but I love my Lord more. I love you enough to give you the truth. Now here's a question. Let me ask you a few. Be honest with yourself. Are you poor in spirit? Meaning, do you see your need for God? Or are you under the illusion that you can live your Christian life without God? Are you aware that everyone who has tried Christianity has tried to do this, and that's why they gave up? Anyone met somebody who said, I tried all that. I was a born-again Christian. And I know you weren't. You were never a born again Christian. Never. But when I still go to church. You've opted for a lukewarm church, which is no church at all, and simply become the laughing stock of devils. He loves lukewarm churches. Let me make a suggestion. Here's the way to become poor in spirit
1: read his word and
0: read his law. And read the Sermon on the Mount and say, why am I not doing this? It's just an idealistic message which is nice but unobtainable. But the answer is yes, without God it is. But with God, all things are possible. Just imagine when you're reading, standing before Jesus. We want to be rich in spirit. We don't want to stand before Jesus having nothing. And he said, I've given you everything. Let me read this. If we can grasp that all our efforts are in vain, then and only then can we totally depend on God and a dependence on God become a reality. Then, And only then, when we realize all our efforts are in vain, can we fully depend on God, and then you can say, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. Why? Because if we've become poor in spirit, now the kingdom of heaven is ours. There's no one in the kingdom of heaven who is not poor in spirit. There's only one way to get in there, is to see our need of the living God 24 hours. Here's our guarantee. Here come some characteristics of the Christian life, the christ life. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they, listen, shall be comforted. What's this mean? Godly sorrow for a lost world. Do you mourn for these things? For your family and friends. What's going on in the world. But there's a guarantee. If you're poor in spirit. That you will have comfort. Why? Because you have the comforter. The Holy Spirit. Therefore you shall be comforted. The shall follows the is. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Meek is not weakness by the way. Let's not hide behind that. It's strength. Gentleness. Kindness, forgiving, patient, long suffering. It's humbling yourself before a living God. Then you become sons of God and heirs of the kingdom. Paul writes to the church at Corinth having nothing and yet possessing all things. It's yours. You have all things. Why? Because you're in the kingdom, you have the inheritance. Six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Christ is our redemption, our sanctification, and Christ is also our righteousness. Your hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's like saying a hunger and thirst for God as the deer pants for the water. The promise is, you shall be filled. If you're hungry and thirsty for God. First seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. In fact we've already obtained mercy. Through Christ. And what was achieved and accomplished on the cross. As it says in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus continues. Verse 8. Blessed are the poor in heart for they shall see God. This would have meant so much to the Jews that heard this. To see God is to appear before him. In worship. And we are able, through the sacrifice on the cross, to come into the presence of God. When you're praying, you're not alone. You know that. We've had a very good teaching on that. Whom we stand before. That's now. From the age to come, face to face, we shall see him. Blessed are the peacemakers. This isn't political appeasement, by the way. Peace at all costs. That's how man interprets it. You see in the flesh. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. What's this talking about? This is reconciliation. Jesus is the prince of peace. He brings peace between us and the father. And like father and son. We continue the work. By reconciling man to God. How? Through the gospel. That's what you do when you give the gospel. You're reaching out to a lost people saying, you have a father in heaven. You have somebody who loves you. You have somebody who sent his son to die for you and to watch him suffer on the cross for you. And through this sacrifice, you can be reconciled to your father in heaven. Consider how many people feel unwanted, unloved. I think enemy children feel like this. Unwanted and unloved. How many people feel like this? We have this great responsibility and a privilege to be able to reconcile man to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a honor. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, simply for my sake, for theirs, what is the kingdom of God. You see? We've done a full circle. You're blessed because if you're able to do these things, that means Christ is in you. The hope of glory is living in you. If you're able to carry these things out by the grace of God, and it will be by the grace of God, you are blessed. You are fortunate. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus closed with this, and I will too. Verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake.
1: Rejoice
0: and be exceedingly glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great is your reward. Not it may be. Is your reward. We get to share and be heirs of a joint inheritance with Christ. I can't fathom it. I don't fully understand it. The Bible says it and I receive it. Simple as that. The one to grasp is the verse 3. Are you poor in spirit? Those Christ-like qualities are to be progressively seen in those who claim to be his. These are not individual, but as a whole... That they're to be seen in our lives as we walk with Christ. That our old man is falling away. And that we're putting on Christ as all things become new. We are his. The weakness of the Christian. The weakness of the church. Is the weakness of believing. I am strong enough to do it. Well you're not. And I'm not. But Christ is. I believe the only way to correct this is to come before God and recognize our need. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their need. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You recognize your need, you will come under the rule and reign of Almighty God. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor. This financial thing has nothing on your heart posture. Recognizing our need of God. Remember, Leonard Ravenhill said, The greatest sin is saying, I can live my life without God. I don't need Him. But you desperately need Him. To say you don't need Him, you even needed Him to breathe, to say that sentence, is foolishness and ridiculous. A fool says in his heart, There is no God. Shall we stand? May as we stand before God, as we continue our time of worship, I know this is a strong word, but I feel that the Lord wants to get this across to his people. Our desperate need of him not in times of just hardship. You see, it's been about almost three years since these lockdowns. How busy the church has become. The churches was full after 9-11, but then they heard the mantra once again, you can do it, you can do it where you can't. You have to see our desperate need of him. have to come to this point when we say i can do nothing without you i've tried in my own strength and failed it's called being honest before god and simply say this lord i need you lord i need you more than ever Jesus said, but first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we thank you for this word. and We need you, Lord. We desperately need you. And if we feel, feel that we don't need you, then we desperately, desperately need you, Lord. In our own ideas, we are utterly bankrupt. But Lord, help us by your spirit to throw ourselves on the mercies of God. And we thank you, Lord, that in Christ, all things are possible with you. But Lord, how we need you. How we need you.